Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. I'm really proud of you, man. Thank you. You didn't hold in your sneeze. Oh, God. That one actually would have probably forced air into my brain. No, that might have actually kickstarted it. Get a little oxygen in there. Oxygenate it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm not sure that's how brain chemistry works, but maybe. I I went to school for this, and I can tell you I have absolutely no idea. And I don't really know how engines work, so I'm dumb on all fronts here. Okay. So we definitely butchered the metaphor and everything. Also, um, how typical us, we recorded an early, early morning episode, and the best feedback we got was, you guys were so delirious, it was actually pretty funny. <laughs> but other than that, you looked like you were struggling. And then we did it again. Yep. 7, 7.30 this time. Actually, I think last time was 7.30 as well. It was about that. Yeah. yeah. Well, welcome to uh, Winged Wheel Podcast early morning. Uh, one of your hosts who's been awake for longer than usual. I'm Ryan Hanna. I've been awake for the exact normal amount of time and I still hate it. I'm Brad Crisco. And I'm Evan. Uh, on this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast, we have uh, a few different things to talk about, including a very uh, fun interview we had with Tony Ferrari, our favorite uh, ball draft analyst, someone who was overdue to reappear on the podcast, and we'll talk about that in the interview with him. Uh, we'll discuss the Detroit Red Wings and the glory that is Moritz Sider in overtime, and we are also going to chat about a couple other pieces. Um, Red Wings prospects Carter Mazur and Red Savage are, are crushing it, um, and Vancouver has finally decided to pull the trigger uh, just in time. <laughs> to, fix the, to fix their team. They saw that their uh, playoff odds dropped below 5% and said, now. I just, <laughs> yeah, we'll get into that. Uh, before we jump into all of that, though, uh, we'd like to talk to you all about the Jamie Daniels Foundation. And uh, we know the celebrity Rosa Brett Hall has already aired and it was a fantastic success, a wonderful show, uh, hysterical and um, raised a ton of money for the Jamie Daniels Foundation. Canadian listeners... Good news. Sportsnet is going to be airing the Celebrity Roast at Brett Hall on Tuesday, December 7th at 9 p.m. Eastern and again at Saturday, on Saturday, December 11th at 3 p.m. So it's on Sportsnet 1, Tuesday, December 7th at 9 p.m. And then again on Saturday, December 11th at 3. Uh, definitely worth catching if you weren't able to catch it the first time. Go to Sportsnet uh, and uh, thank you to Sportsnet for syndicating that on uh, the Canadian airwaves. Good for uh, more people to see the roast of Brett Hall. It's just good for more people to see Brett Hall's antics in general. I agree. All right. Let's get into it. What a weekend for the Mich state of Michigan. Man. <laughs> what a weekend. Brad, what was my expression when you talked to me about the Lions winning? Okay. Yeah, I just, <laughs> I didn't have the emotional capacity to process it. I watched that play unfold and I went, um, I don't understand. When does the other team get more points now? <laughs> See, that's where the Lions got smart this time. They waited till they couldn't. Even then, even then I didn't trust it. Just like in the Michigan-Ohio State game. How my brain did refuse to believe it or celebrate until that clock ticked to zero. <laughs> With the Lions game, even after it hit zero, I went, you see, I've I've been here before and I've trusted you before. And it didn't go well. So what's the catch? It's been it's been like, I don't know, twelve more than twelve hours. So I haven't figured it out yet, but I'll let you know. It was the weirdest weekend because 
like you just talked about the Lions, and even with Michigan, it's like, yeah, we beat Ohio State. The most Michigan thing in the world, and I think we were talking to Tony about this, was would be to just walk in and get crushed by Iowa. Then. Yeah. Just be like, all right, we're we're finally here. We finally did it. Oh, right. We had another game. We forgot about that. But no, they walked in and crushed Iowa. And then with the Red Wings, it's like, all right, the ice cold New York Islanders are coming in to play the red hot Detroit Red Wings. And I'm like, I've seen this script before. <laughs> this is this is the one that changes the fortune of both teams season. And uh Nope. <laughs> Red Wings pulled that one out too. So it was really a brain breaking weekend in the best ways possible. That Red Wings game. Yeah. Like you said, the Islanders who had, who have been decimated by COVID, who played roughly a thousand road games in a row to start the season, lost their however many games to start in their brand new arena. Absolutely. It would have made just so much more sense for Detroit to be like that heel, like that pivot point. Yeah. But Hey, man. In previous seasons, as we've said before, they would have been. They would have. The season's a lot more fun for that. Yeah. The season's a lot more fun because now in overtime, I spend less time worrying about whether Franz Nielsen will be out there. Well, <laughs> well, it's not Franz Nielsen. It's not but. quite Franz Nielsen, but and I, <laughs> I'm not even going to argue with you anymore about that. Like, I, I've given it a fair fight, and every time I see it now, I'm just like, yeah. <laughs> But like, hey, even the most optimistic take and and people who are more optimistic about Rasmussen than I am, which you have made very good points about, like, hey, you know, he's he's not as bad as everybody's making him out to be, but he's not the guy Jeff Blashill clearly thinks he is. So if he's out there in a fourth line role and he's playing defensive minutes, while I still have reservations about even that, you, you're probably right. Overtime ain't it, <laughs> Chief. <laughs> You know it's you know it's a good point when Brad just seeded every single other point in the argument, which he probably didn't even have to, <laughs> because that one is just the dagger in the whole thing. Uh, the Red Wings uh, played host to the New York Islanders on Saturday and won four to three in overtime uh, to take it over the Long Island team. And Detroit is officially now in a playoff spot on merit. It's no longer percentage. on points percentage. This is no longer a thing of, hey, we lead the league in games played. So we got that going for us. Um, Hey, it's almost it's that it's that window now. It's that arbitrary Thanksgiving window shifted to account for the start of the season. And the Red Wings are in a playoff spot. Think about that. Let's talk about the game. It's but I just want you to weird. think about that weird it's a five game winning streak it's been four five years i think i saw since they last did that oh no they had one in 20 oh the end of, yeah that heater that uh that took away jack hughes <laughs> <laughs> yeah was that the jack hughes heater that was the jack hughes heater <laughs> i mean that one still kind of worked out ironically enough uh to the point where it won us this most recent game but yeah that was uh, where Darren Helm ascended to God status in terms of hockey. <laughs> like game 79 through 82. No, that was the uh, the realization of, uh, I forget what we were calling it at the time, the dinger line, the MLB line, whatever it was, oh, when yeah. they just went on the tear to end all tears. It's yeah. like, cool, that would have been fun in January. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I still get flashbacks to that. All right. Um, let's talk about that Red Wings game. What their depth did that game. But first, is Adam Ernie, is he still on the run? What do you, what do you call that? 
still on the lamb. I don't I don't know what it's called for uh, killing a guy on the ice. I just assumed he'd be out three to four months because there's no way his shoulder stayed in the socket after oh dropping God. that. God, what a boom of a hit. You love when a guy comes off the bench and nobody sees him, yeah. especially the puck carrier. It just gets destroyed. And he just, like, he stood up. Who was it that he hit? Beauvillier. Yeah, he hit Beauvillier. Like, he had so much strength. Like, he was not moving. He was planted, and he was not moving at all. And I watched the replay. I'm like... That might have been to the head, but that was it was a beautifully laid hit in my mind. It was hit so hard that when Bovillier's glove popped off his hand and kind of slid 10 feet along the ice, I thought it was his head for a second. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I understand why there was the fight after. I wish there wasn't because I think it was a clean hit, but I'm very, very anti-fighting after clean hits, but... When it's that devastating, there is not a player on the ice uh, for the Islanders who's looking that and going, oh, that might have been clean. We should probably. It's like, no, he just killed their guy. We got to go kill him now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyways, big earn. That was absolutely unreal. Uh, the Red Wings started the game off at the def- um, at a one nothing deficit off a nice goal from Cal Clutterbuck, actually. Didn't know such a thing existed. Hey, man. That's a goal scorer's goal. Yeah. <laughs> we saw Ovechkin score a goal like that this year. Hey, and Ovech- if Ovechkin keeps working at it, you, we might be having uh, the, that conversation of who's better, Clutterbuck or Ovi. One, Never know. Keep going. It's too kid. early to tell. Well, the answer is obviously Clutterbuck because I don't remember Ovi doing that to the Wings <laughs> this year. Uh, Philip Peronik scored his second goal of the year. Where he finally waited for the traffic to uh, appear in the right spot of the ice. And then instead of clapping one three feet high and nine feet wide, just nice for a shot right under the bar. Yeah, uh, he's uh, I think he finally got tired of like the trying to shoot through the boards Yeah, and was like, ah, OK, maybe if the goalie can't see it. Yeah, that will be better. Uh, Sam Gagne scored from Dylan Larkin's spot <laughs> below the red line. And uh, Giovanni Smith with a fantastic all-around play to to put that puck in. He needed that, especially after Blaschel said he played his best all-around game, or I guess it was the game, but still just having that to put the cherry on top of it. Yeah. It was good. And you know what? He didn't have the best start to the year, right? Like he's no. – I don't think he had the worst start. Like he, he was in games mostly as that, you know, grit factor when the Red Wings were on uh, – the murder tear where anytime anyone looked at them wrong or, you know, boarded them illegally from behind, they were just out there trying to kill people. Like I think Giovanni Smith very much had a place in that team to, to make sure that their stars made it out of the game. But yeah, he had a little stretch where it's like, eh, it made sense that he was scratched, but it's nice to see him play that stretch of hockey forced the turnover, skated down the ice and a beautifully placed shot. Actually, like it warrants the word snipe. Yeah. And I, that's one of those shots too. Um, where as a left-handed shot going high glove on a two-on-one, you better be damn sure you're hitting the net. Yeah. Because that's a break the other way if you miss that. And it's a lower percentage shot, but hey, if that's what the goalie's giving you and you have the the release to hit it, and apparently Giovanni does, and I'm here for it. He also um, was basically the main component in the Gagne goal too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Carried the puck in. Got it back, worked hard on the forecheck, got it over to Gagne, and Gagne scored from behind the net. Are we going to have to have a conversation now that uh, it seems like Carter Rowney and Sam Gagne have fixed Philip Zadina and Giovanni Smith here? (laughs) 
They're the slump whisperers. Look, there's a reason we are sitting in a converted podcast studio with like in a one and a half story where we can't stand up at the back of the room because our head will hit the the slope ceiling and some people coach and uh, manage hockey professionally at the NHL level. No, I'm kidding, but no, seriously, but you're right. Like there's immediately people think, and we've been guilty of this best players with best players. Like that is that equals good. And if it was that easy, then, you know, some of the stacked teams that we have seen the Olympics or in the NHL in the past would have just automatically won the cup, but that's not the way hockey works all the time. There's probably something to be said for a stabilizing force that, you know, Carter Rowney brings or Sam Gagne's veteran experience. And there's a lot of little things that he does. There's a lot of little plays that he makes that make a whole big difference for a player who's trying to figure it out, who has the talent, but maybe not the execution at the NHL level. I don't know. I, it's it's something that's worth watching. I've never at any for any extended period of time having Sam Gagne on this team looked at him and said, oh, he doesn't belong here. He always seems to find a spot, a role, and he executes well. And it's well known that he's one of the most liked guys in the league and in the dressing room. So that hockey's a mental game. Hockey's a team game. And so you do a lot of work in the dressing room and that translates onto the ice too. So yeah, let's have that conversation. Maybe not today, but it's (laughs) whenever you see a guy go down to play with Sam Gagne, don't think, oh, He's being relegated. Think, hmm, oh, heart trophy candidate. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's get into over. Not not this episode's overtime. This game's overtime now because, man, that play. So, are we all aware of what the rock star zone is? Educate us. So, um, I'm sure most of you who are on Twitter know the Danny All Star account who frequently posts the still image of Danny Heatley waiting for a one-timer like three feet above the goal line yeah. in traffic. And um, there was a clip this week of, or a couple weeks ago, of Jason Spezza practicing that in practice. So basically between the goal line and the face-off dot, you stand there on your off wing and you just tee off because no human being should ever score from there unless you're a rock star. So it's been deemed... The rock star zone. So Where are you, Evan? <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah, Cider just tees up from the rock star zone and just rips it. That's the nicest shot by a Red Wing this year. That was the equivalent of going yard opposite. Like, was I'm not uh, I'm not good with opposite baseball field. Yeah, like Oppo. Oppo. Yeah, Oppo. That's what I was thinking of. Like the, he. He went opposite Oppo Poppo. It sounds, I feel like I'm being punked. I feel like this is like desk pop from uh, the other guys, but uh, you'll no. never know until the Twitter comments after. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the shitty part about doing a live show. There's no Twitch <laughs> chat to tell you when you're wrong. You have to sit there in fear. <laughs> you're at your, your Twitter little bubble just starts rising, but no, that was, that probably was the best shot. One of the best shots the Red Wings have had all year. I've watched it on loop so many times. And the whole play, like the way Zadina carried it, Zadina didn't do anything like absolutely phenomenally special, but that's what he does. Like in overtime, I think he's incredibly effective at holding and carrying the puck. Um, Pew Suter, though, is I think the real unspoken hero of that. Again, nothing out of this world, 
but the backhand, a little lift on the puck to get to make sure it clears any sticks, moving away from his body over to Moritz Sider in the in the Rockstar zone. That one timer, man. How many plays are the are, Lu, are Lucas Raymond and Moritz Sider going to have on their career highlight reel from their first thirty games? <laughs> well, these ones aren't even going to exist in like three years. Yeah, these are going to be rare clips. It's be like, oh yeah, that Tuesday night rip from Mo Sider again. Yeah, we talk about it with Tony, but Sider's offensive game. It's not Kale McCarr, not Quinn Hughes, like not that kind of offensive game, but it's there. It's real. It's significant. And it just won the game in overtime against the New York Islanders. I can't stop watching it. To quote Kim Kardashian, he's here. and He's perfect. What the fuck? <laughs> just this is what this is what I'm busting out at 745 in the morning. This is what you get from me. Okay. Uh, we need to emotionally process, so let's jump over to the interview with Tony Ferrari. You're welcome. From you are welcome. The Hockey News and Sports Illustrated. Tony, you didn't know this at the time of recording, but you just saved us on this episode of the podcast. They're, Folks, just, they're just mad they can think of it. Enjoy. Tony, the Red Wings screwed you this year. It is December 5th, and it is our first time talking to you on the podcast this season it's our first time talking 2022 draft prospects and really we're still jumping the gun we just couldn't wait any longer the red wings are too good for this right now they turn their backs on you i am more than happy to talk about mid-round prospect ivan maroshnichenko or gleb trikazov let's go baby (laughs) you can't convince me either of those players are real yeah they are both real and gleb trikazov is my favorite name in the draft It is that ridiculous. Is that sounds like something I would read on Urban Dictionary. Yeah. If it's worth anything, Trikazov should be his name because he's just so fun to watch. Well, uh, I'm glad that you're here to dispel that information. Be- or d- Sorry, distill that information because that name made absolutely no sense to me. Because uh, like I mentioned, the Red Wings have been actually, what is it, hashtag actually good this year. And so that's all we've been preoccupied with. Uh, but without further ado, uh, folks, we're joined today on the Winged Wheel Podcast by Tony Ferrari, uh, our favorite bald draft analyst, kindly referred to as our bald king. Uh, he's from the Hockey News and Sports Illustrated. Altogether good guy and uh, someone with a good hockey brain that we're happy to have back on the podcast, albeit a little bit overdue. Tony, thanks for joining us again. Oh, no problem. Anytime I get to come on and say nice things about my children, Lucas Raymond and Mort Sider, I'm more than happy to. Well, yeah, I mean, let's start with that because you were you were a big Lucas Raymond proponent. I think when we chatted before Lucas Raymond's draft, you had him as, you know, the best option available for Detroit. Uh, you were firmly on that train and uh, also, you know, watching more at Sider's progress, you were banging that drum pretty loud, um, you know, after the insanity of draft day. So talk to us a little bit about what Red Wings fans are seeing from these two young phenoms and, you know, you can toot your own horn. I mean, Lucas Raymond... In his draft year, it was such a weird draft year because he was playing for Forlunda and he's playing for the men's team, but he's playing fourth line minutes. Everything he was doing on the ice was amazing, though. He was making insane cross ice passes, doing everything to get the puck to the middle of the ice, shoot from high danger. He was doing everything you'd like to see. But at the time, he was 5'10", a little bit under 175 pounds, and everyone was like, well, he's not scoring at the Swedish level. And it's like, well, because he's playing seven minutes a night on the best nights he's getting. So, of course, he's not scoring. But everything he was doing was right. 
So you compare that to a guy like Tim Stutzel, who everyone kind of had at number three. And I was like, Stutzel's scoring a lot. And, and we're seeing that with certain guys this year, but they're not doing anything to get there. They're kind of lucking into a lot of points with secondary assists or just kind of playing bad competition in the DEL. I love the DEL, and I'm, I'll talk about it in a second with more Sider, but man, like it, it was not a great league, especially a couple of years ago when Sider or when Stussel was kind of going off on it. So seeing the tools that Lucas Raymond had in the mind and the, the, the just outstanding hockey IQ it, to me, it made no sense to, for that. He wasn't the number three guy. And then seeing on like NHL.com and all these other websites where he was like 12, 14, 15, even. And I'm like, y'all are crazy. Like you're going to miss on this kid. So when, when the Red Wings stepped up to the plate at number four and took him, it, to me, it was the clear choice and it w- didn't shock me at all. In the year before with Moritz Sider, it was like, okay, like I was, I was a big cider guy. I had him at 11 on my final board. I wanted to have him in the top 10. I always tell people that this is my, the one thing I learned that year is don't listen to the other people that in your circle, because sometimes they'll talk you out of it because I had him at number seven. And someone that is still a very prominent member of hockey Twitter. That's still a very prominent prospect guy is, was like, dude, like you're going to lose credibility. You're going to do this. And this is your first year where you're really getting big and you're starting to grow. Don't put a guy that no one really believes in in your top 10. So I listened and I had him at 11, but even still 11 was a lot higher than most people. And when he went at six, I was like, oh yeah, like this, this is my boy. And I remember watching your guys live stream and it was like complete shock and awe. And I, I, even me myself, like my face was more excited though. Okay, bud. All right, let's, let's do this. But the, the fact that he came in a, in a couple years and he's done what he's done, looks like a true number one defenseman. Like it didn't shock me because all those tools were there. And I remember during his draft year, I was like, man, like I love this kid so much. His passing is crisp. His shot is great. His defensive game is otherworldly why isn't he scoring more? So I went and I, I was reading German articles and Google translating them all. And I came across one where they were asking his coach, what happened to his offensive game? Because at the junior level, he was pretty good offensively. And his coach was like, we told him like, play defense or you're not going to make it. Like you're not going to reach your ceiling. So he completely committed to the defensive side of the puck. But all of those tools were there, the passing, the offensive zone, the, the breakout passing, everything was there to be that good offensive player. But he just wasn't able to do it because he was focusing so much defensively. Now that he's matured a couple of years, we're seeing him be a good offensive player. I mean, he's third in rookie scoring with 17 points as a defenseman. Like, I don't think anyone's looking at this guy and not thinking he's a number one defenseman anymore. Is Sider's progression and especially his emergence of an offensive game at the NHL level kind of changing how people scout? Because Sider still does not do anything flashy. He's not out there walking the line like a Kale McCarr, and he's not, you know, finding these ridiculous seams like an Adam Fox, and he doesn't jump up in the play all that much. When you look at his point totals, you expect to see him flying around the offensive zone all the time, and he doesn't. But he's just efficient, makes the right play at the exact right time, and I I call them IQ points because he just, there's the guy, give it to him now, don't wait, goal. So our is the scouting community kind of taking that tool set and translating it into this upcoming draft or something like that? Hypothetically, I would like to say yes, because like cider really was a, a project for me, like a little experiment for me. Cause I was like, he's doing everything right. Like he's made, he can make every pass. I've seen him make every pass, but he's not doing it all the time. And he's kind of needs to learn to do be a bit more consistent. So if the tools are there, how much is he willing to develop and come? And we've seen that with cider. So I'd like to say yes, but we're still seeing like, Joachim Kamel and, and Brad Lambert are the perfect example this year. And we'll talk about them, I'm sure, a little bit. Joachim Kamel is scoring the lights out in the Liga. He's got 12 goals and, and 
He at one point he was leading the league in both points and goals, and he's doing it largely by just kind of being in a good spot at the right time. He's not necessarily driving the play, whereas Brad Lambert is doing everything you possibly could want him to do, much like Lucas Raymond in his draft year. Not to the same degree, I don't think, but he's doing a lot of the right things. He's affecting the transition game. He's playing good defensively as a a center and a winger at the league level, but he's not finding the back of the net and he's not scoring all that much points wise. So you're like, what is going on with these two? For me, those two are back to back on my ranking, and I don't think that's going to change very soon, to be completely honest, unless something catastrophic happens. But we're still seeing people go, well, Brad Lambert's not scoring, so he's he's not very good. And even people that were high on Lucas Raymond are saying that. And it's like, you're, you might get bit again. And I think that's what, what's going to happen. And with more insider, I think people go, man, like that's a once in a lifetime thing that that won't happen again. But like it happens every year. The Red Wings uh, European scouting group has been obviously prolific over the years. Hokan Anderson has been, you know, one of the most well-known names within European drafting, maybe the only really uh, household name within European drafting in the NHL. Is this the Red Wings knowing how to find those kind of market inefficiencies, so to speak? Um, Or do you think it was just kind of like they hit it right this time, but the North American drafting shows that they haven't quite figured it out? I think it's a bit of both because I do think on the North American side of things, I, I, I question some of their picks. Like I, I think Cross Hannes is a perfectly good player, but where they took him, I was like, Oh, okay. Like, all right. And, and then you look at the, like, the European picks though, like Simon Edvinson, just otherworldly this year. Like, he's been, he's been more outsider from two years ago when, when he was in his post draft year. Um, you look at the, the recent European picks that they've made, even William Wallander, like he's coming along great. And I mean, obviously Raymond insider and everything, but I think. The magic is with Hawk and Anderson in, in that European scouting staff they have. Because as you said, like, we don't look around the NHL and go, oh, yeah, Carolina's European scouts and stuff. Like, I know them because I used to do a podcast with Yogi and Evelyn. But, like, most people don't know who Carolina's European scouts are. Most people don't know who Toronto's European scouts are. Like, it doesn't matter what team it is. The only team people know is Detroit's. And, and I think that's for a reason. is because they've been doing it forever. So... Let's chat a little bit about the uh, the Red Wings prospects. We've said nice things about Raymond and Sider, but how are the Red Wings' current prospects that haven't quite made Detroit doing? Simon Edmondson is obviously the the title contender here. Oh man, like Simon Edmondson, I, I I love to eat my words on him because he's a guy that I I wasn't low on. I'd say last year I was pretty average on on my ranking. I had him at seven at the end of the year, and I think there were people that had him up at three, and there were people that kind of had him down at twelve. So I felt like I was pretty safe with him in the middle, but man, has he ever done everything to prove me wrong on, on being even that low? Because he has taken the step that I think he needed to take after last year, whereas he was doing all of those toolsy things. He was doing everything that you kind of put him in that same category, in my opinion, as, as a more insider, where he had the the size, he had the skating, he had the passing ability, the, the, the ability to kind of do a little bit of everything. But he wasn't doing it consistently, especially towards the end of the year when he was, when he got in, into some SHL games, you were like, okay, like he looks like a fish out of water here. And then this year, it's just been completely the opposite. He's been outstanding. He's been able to kind of just be dominant at every game he's played in. And you see the highlights and it's like, wow, like this kid is taking a step that I don't think anyone really expected him to take because you look at last year's draft and you go, man, like if you're redrafting, I think Edmondson's going up even a couple spots from where he went with Detroit. So man, like Edmondson's been fantastic. And I've loved watching his game this year. Might as well stay in for Lunda um, since it's basically the Red Wings feeder system at this point. 
I find myself optimistic, but still a little uncertain. So I'm going to just ask you, how excited should we realistically be about Elmer Soderblom right now? Oh, I I love this kid. I do. I I keep trying to talk myself out of it because there's so many obvious reasons. Even even though his skating has taken such a big stride in the last couple of years, there's still moments where you're like, oh, okay, like he's going two miles per hour and just deking everyone out. Like I remember at the World Juniors, was it last year, the year before, he skated the puck right from behind his own net all the way to the offensive zone and scored. And I think it took about a minute and a half to get there. Like it was ridiculous how slow he was going, but you're seeing the progression of skating. There are things that are developing. And I, I think that was one of those European finds for, for the Red Wing scouting staff where they were like, okay, there's this one glaring issue. Can we work on that? And in his case, it was skating. And I think at the end of the day, I think skating is one of the easier things in the last few years to develop. So we're seeing him take those steps. And I, I think we Red Wings fans should look at him and go, man, like this is a guy that can legitimately play in our middle six, our bottom six. Like this is a guy that has the size, the skill and everything. Does he ever become a, a scorer necessarily at the NHL level? I, I don't know about that, but he's going to be that guy that I, I'm going to kind of compare him to Joel Armia in, in Montreal, where you're like, he, he should be playing on the third, fourth line, but every once in a while he scores a goal and you're like, oh, is that a first line goal? Like that, that's not something a fourth liner should do. But I think Elmer Soderblom is going to do some of that in the NHL when he gets there. Uh, then we'll go to the other feeder team, which apparently now is Rogla. Yeah, because uh, <laughs> apparently these are the two teams Red Wings prospects go to to blossom. Mo Sider last year, and now after it seemed like the entire fan base was down on him this summer, William Wallander uh, looks like a player, uh, almost seemingly overnight. Although it shouldn't surprise us because it was advertised as a quote unquote project pick, and now the project's coming to fruition. But um, how sustainable is what he's doing? I, I don't know how sustainable it is, but it's certainly fun to watch right now because he was a guy that in his draft year, I was like, man, like he has every tool you could ask for. He has the ability to move the puck on offensively. He has the ability to make a play defensively. Like his skating was really good. Like you're seeing all of these things be really good in a vacuum, but we couldn't seem to put them all together in the same game. It was really weird watching him. It was like, okay, like his skating and his passing is outstanding in this game. And then you watch him the very next game, two days later. And you're like, Oh, like he doesn't know how to skate anymore, but like, he's able to lay the body and play, be good defensively. Like it was one of the weirdest prospects to do, to watch and, and evaluate because you didn't know how high you wanted to put him because you didn't know exactly what, what he was. And, and we're starting to see him kind of put everything together a little bit this year. And, Again, I don't know how sustainable it is to keep everything together as long as he has, but we're going to see a guy that I think he's going to come to the AHL and you're going to see steps taken. You're going to see him adjust to the North American game and and then go from there because, like I said, he has every tool you could ask for. Um, he he was one of those big swing and kind of big range par- prospects for me in his draft year where I'm like, he could be a top pairing defenseman. Like I wouldn't be blown away if someone was like, oh yeah, three years from now, William Wallander somehow playing on the top pair. And I'm like, oh, okay, like that makes sense. But at the same time, I wouldn't be shocked if like five years from now, you're like, oh, William Wallander has no NHL future. Like he's that kind of prospect. And man, like it's been fun to see him take those steps towards at least being an NHL player. All right. I could sit here and go through every European prospect, but there is only so much time. But there are two guys in North America I want to talk about specifically just because we know the spotlight that's going to be on the Team Canada World Junior Team and the Red Wings have two players who could pro- feature pretty prominently on that team in some capacity in Sebastian Cosa and Donovan Sabrango. So what have you seen from those two guys in their development this year and where we stand on them as prospects now? 
Man, Sebastian Cosa, this kid has taken everything that he's ever done and just continues to do it well because you watch him at the WHL level and he's absolutely dominant. He's got the size and admittedly for a while last year, I was like, well, he's just got this big size and he's not really all that flexible. He's not, he doesn't have the reflexes. He doesn't have the lateral movement. And the more I watched him, I'm like, Tony, you're wrong. Like he's, he's doing these things. And he was a guy that I thought should have been tw- top 20 pick last year. And, and then the wings ended up taking him at f- 15, if I'm not mistaken, or 16. And he, they took him before Jesper Wallstead, who admittedly I did have as a top three or four prospect. But you're looking at them now this year and you're like, you know what? Like the Red Wings might have made the right pick because I think Wall or uh, Wallstead's been good this year. But Sebastian Koch has been legendary this year. His play in the WHL has been unreal. There have been games where like Edmonton doesn't even try to play defense because he's just able to stop everything. And it's 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 unbelievable how well he's played. And I think he's going to be the starter for Team Canada pretty easily like i don't think there's anyone that's going to challenge him between garand and uh i forget who the i don't even care who the other prospect is to be completely Brochu. honest yeah oh Trit, get out of here bro shoot you're i hate london anyways um as everyone in the ontario should spoken like a true windsor right thank oh, you Tony. yeah it is buddy hey i'm but, at the kitchener london game on tuesday i'll boo extra loud for uh, you thank you just tell him tony hates you and he won't have any idea who you're talking about but still uh, no, Costa's been amazing. Like I, I love Sebastian Costa. He's taken so many. Even I, I don't even want to say he's taken steps this year, just because. While I do think he's refined some things in his movement, especially laterally this year, he's been a little bit more controlled. It, it's almost unfair to say he's taken steps because he's just continuing to dominate the WHL. And as for Sabrango, man, this kid is. I, I admittedly I doubted him a lot in his draft year. I didn't know what he was going to be because he kind of tried to play offensively, but then he was this defensive guy as well. And I remember going to a game in Kitchener and he was just kind of doing his thing and trying to be this offensive defenseman with all these defensive traits. And I'm like, okay, what are you like? You're not huge. So I don't know if you're going to be this like stalwart defensive guy, but you're really smart with your stick. You're really smart with your positioning and you make really good passes on the breakout. But then you like to try to sneak in and try to do something offensively that doesn't quite make sense for what you're doing at the moment. So I think this kid's going to be really fun on Team Canada. I I think he's going to make the team, to be completely honest, because I don't think they have another player like him who can kind of be that rover, but still be defensively responsible. So I think he's going to be a really good player at the NHL level. But I I think there's going to be time where he's going to take another year in the AHL, I think, and it's going to be fun to watch. So within the Red Wings system, obviously they've taken players that not necessarily weren't the best player available, but uh, they filled some pretty glaring needs. You know, Moritz Sider on the right side now, Simon Edvinson on the left side. Sebastian Kosa is the answer in net uh, sometime down the road because Alex Nedeljkovic has been unreal right now. What is the answer for the Red Wings' biggest hole, which is the center position? Matthew Savoy. Honestly, <laughs> I don't know right now because like they don't have the number one guy, I don't think. like We we all look at Larkin and I think for years we've all kind of gone, is he a true number one? And I think this year, especially in a couple years ago when he had that break, really big breakout season, we're like, okay, he's a number one. But if he's your number one, are you a cup contender? And I think that's always been the biggest question with him. I, I think ideally you'd love for him to have a second Dylan Larkin. If you had two Dylan Larkins, it doesn't matter if he's your number one because you have two of them. And I think you get a guy like Matthew Savoy in the draft this year, or I mean, maybe something happens where they fall out of the playoffs and they don't get to eliminate the lease in round one. And they, they become this team that has to draft in the middle of the round, but who, who knows? Maybe they do end up falling out and they get lottery luck after all these years of having none of it. And they get Shane, right? It'd be fun to see, but yeah, I, I think there's still that one hole down the middle for that 
high, high end center, because as much as I love Larkin, I do think he's a good low end number one center. But I think you look at the Stanley Cup teams and a lot of them have two number one centers or a lot of them have a, a couple guys who can kind of play that 1A, 1B role. So I, I know it's not looking very likely right now unless the Red Wings get something called lottery luck, which I don't think exists in Hockey Town, period. But for the sake of it, let's chat about the those centermen hanging around the top of the 2022 NHL draft. Because, again, we haven't talked about it with the listeners this season at all. Yeah, I mean, Shane Wright obviously is the number one guy. I think there's been a few people down on him. I saw something on Twitter today about, oh, he's not even producing that much for a, a true number one pick, especially a guy that everyone's talking about being this generational talent. And it's like, well, he hasn't played hockey in 18 months realistically. And, and when he has, you've looked at the world under 18, you looked at the world juniors, and he's been more than a dominant force there. So I'll give him a little bit of a, a break for his somewhat slow start in the, the OHL. But, I mean, he's starting to come on now, especially in the last – 10 12 games he's been a lot more productive and you look at the tools with this kid and the fact that he is such a outstanding two-way center it's for me there's no worry about shane right i think he is going to be this guy that can come in and be that number one center for whatever team drafts him but i think this year's draft is pretty unique because you have some players that aren't necessarily those top three picks that are legitimate number one centers Matthew Savoy is number two on my board but i've seen him as low as number 11 or 12 on some boards because he's five nine but this kid is Braden Point-esque as a 5'9 center. And I do think he sticks at center at the next level because he is such a dominant force on the puck and and away from the puck. Uh, he's not necessarily the two-way force that Shane Wright is, but he's got the skill, the pace, the the offensive flair, and the ability to fill the net. Like He's got 40, 41 points in 25 games, if I'm not mistaken, at the WHL level, leading the league. Didn't get an invite to Team Canada's camp, but that's another thing. And, and it's... This kid is absolutely dominant. And then you have guys like Logan Cooley, Frank Nazar, Brad Lambert, who's falling down boards like crazy. And he's a guy that I think the Red Wings could realistically target if, say, they do make the playoffs or they just lose it, miss out on the playoffs and they draft anywhere between 12 and 15. I think Brad Lambert could be there because of how bad he's fallen down the boards because of his lack of production. But I mentioned this before when we were talking a little bit before the podcast. He's still got all of those tools. He's still doing so much right it's just not kind of coming on the score sheet and i mean detroit drafted a player like that a few years ago in lucas raymond and while i don't think brad lambert is the level of player that lucas raymond is i i do think brad lambert has that ability to be that number one b if you have larkin as your 1a i think he's still a guy that could get there and, and then even far further down connor geeky philip massar like all these players are, are kind of looking at realistic options at center where I think a lot of times you're looking at 14, 15, you're like, yeah, he played center in junior, but he's probably going to be a winger. This year, I think there's actually a lot of legitimate centers. We all know Steve Eisman has a type, and we all know the Red Wings have a need. Obviously, we're talking about centers. Uh, just so we can get the prediction part out of the way, which, which of these top 15 centers fits Steve Eisman's box of requirements the most? I've, I've had this weird feeling all year about Brad Lambert being a Red Wing. I, I think he's a guy that, he fits that bill of either he's soured on a little bit like Lucas Raymond is and the wings snap him up, or he's a guy that not many people are talking about because he has had the bad year. And you're looking at a guy like Mort Sider who, who they decide to jump all over despite being a little bit lower on draft boards. So uh, for me, Brad Lambert's been the guy kind of all year that I've been like, ah, he'd look pretty good in a red, a red wings Jersey. Never a bad thing to get another Brad in that organization. Uh, <laughs> so and then the question that always comes up around draft time is, do you draft BPA or draft positional need? I don't think there's anybody on the face of the earth who thinks the Red Wings have a hole in the prospect system outside of center. 
But if the Red Wings do slip into that five to 10, five to 15 range, who's for you the winger or defenseman that could force the Red Wings' hands going, yeah, we need a center, but we can't pass up on this guy? I think if, if, I'll give you two defensemen that I think could be the guy that the Red Wings jump on, and that's Simo Nemec and, and Seamus Casey. Both of them are right handed defensemen. Both of them are 2004 borns. Uh, Nemec is 6'1. Casey's a little bit smaller at 5'11. But both of them play this really smart puck moving offensive game and really skilled defensive game where they're not going to necessarily blow a guy up, but they're going to get in there with their stick, turn the play around quickly. And you see it so much with both their games already. Simon Nemec's playing in Slovakia in the, in, the, in the men's league, and he's been really, really good. Um, some of the plays he's made are ridiculous. You're looking at him and go, man, like that's a kid playing in that league. And with Seamus Casey, he's been this absolute force for the NTDP, NTDP in Plymouth. And it's been so much fun to watch him develop over the last year because a lot of people were concerned about his size, but he's putting that to bed a lot of nights. And it, it's been really fun to watch him play too. Is this going to be the draft of true unpredictability more so due to perspective than actual talent? Because when I was going over a few of the draft boards, the one thing that really jumped out to me is the top 10 to 15 picks this year are coming from everywhere. You've got your Czech in the Czech Republic. You've got the three Slovakians coming up. You've got guys in Liga, SHL, the USNTDP has a strong year. The top pick is coming out of the OHL. You got a few guys coming out of the WHL who are having super strong seasons. So how, when you have a smorgasbord like that, do you compare these guys against each other? It really is a hard year because like you said, it's everywhere this year. And I think the last couple of years we've seen, okay, like the NTP dominated the, in 2019 and, and you look at 2020 and you're like, okay, like there's a lot of guys coming from Europe and everything. And you're, you're looking all over the board and you're like, there's a lot of the same guys and it's pretty easy to compare. Whereas like you said, this year it's everywhere. I think you look through the first round and you're like, oh, okay, like there's nine, 10 different leagues easily represented. No problem. And, and you're going to be going, okay, like how do I compare the OHL to the USNTDP? How do I care the compare the NTDP to Slovakia or Czech Republic? And it, it's going to be tough, but I think like teams are going to go with their gut. And, and we've seen it in years past where the Red Wings are heavily lean on Europeans in the first round and then kind of spurs out from there. And I wouldn't be shocked to see them do it again. So looking at a guy like Joachim Kamel, Brad Lambert, Yuri Slavkovsky, uh, Danilo Yurov, I think, could be a really interesting option depending on how far where he goes on draft boards because despite public consensus kind of being at number two, three, four, five in the draft, a top five guy, I think I've talked to a couple of teams and they even have him lower. Like I've seen, I've talked to at least one team that has him in the top 15, like just outside the top 10. And it's like, okay, like if you're going to let that talent slip to that level, like great, let them. Like someone's going to get a great pick at 12 or 13. So it, it's going to be really interesting because like you said, it, it's everywhere. Russia, Sweden, Slovakia, Czech Republic, Finland, and that's just Europe. That's not even counting the four or five different leagues in Canada and the United States. All right, we're going to play a game, which I think we've done with you before, uh, which is Tony uh, morphs into Steve Eisenman, and you are looking at the Red Wings this season, uh, absolutely pulling points out of nowhere, where in previous years they would have collapsed and walked away with nothing. So the Red Wings, as of recording right now, are in a playoff spot by points percentage, so this isn't a games played thing. Um, But, you know, having watched those games, it's not like they're blowing everyone out of the water like Tampa Bay does or anything like that. You're Steve Eisenman. What do you do at the trade deadline? 
you have players like Bertuzzi with a very obvious baggage. You have players like Robbie Fabry, Vlad Nemesnikov, who could be had. Nick Letty is going to get a lot of suitors. How do you handle this? The team's winning for the first time in a long time, but maybe you're not quite ready to make the jump yet. Yeah, you know what? I, I think there's a very big risk in not jumping the gun. I, I think you got to look at this team and you go, okay, like we're doing better than we expected. Don't go out and sell the farm. It, don't even think about trading your first round pick. I don't think like Eisenman's smarter than that. So I don't, I'm not actually worried about that. But I've seen people go, oh, the Red Wings should be buyers at the deadline. No, stand pat. Let's see what this team can do. Don't, if you bring in someone, bring in some depth. Like, don't trade away anything that you're going to regret in the future. Like, no top three picks, no, like, no top three round picks, no prospects that are of significance in the system. You want to trade a guy that's your eighth best, ninth, tenth best prospect for a legitimate player with maybe a little bit of term? Sure. But I, I don't think the Red Wings should be in the market for rentals or anything this year because. Let's be honest, like if this team's this good right now, imagine in a couple of years when they are able to bring in those guys when they expect it to be good in two years. Yeah, what is it? The 2018 New Jersey Devils. You, oh. you want to you want to avoid that that mirage and then get ahead of yourself and then kind of cycle back. Although they've had a very good 18 months in terms of turning that organization around. But that, that was a team that misread it. And that's my biggest fear right now. Yeah, and I, I think there's also the, the worry on the other side where I think there are people that are going, okay, like, what if they don't jump now? Or what if they they wait too long? And I think you've seen teams do that in the past as well. Like, they don't supplement their players and they continuously try to not necessarily rebuild, but they try to extend that that window where they're unwilling to trade their first round pick. And this year's not the year to do it. But two years from now, if the Red Wings are in kind of the, a, a better position where they've got guys like Simon Edvinson on the, on the roster, William Wallander's pushing for a spot. Joe Valeno solidified his top nine role. Like these guys are, are playing in the NHL and the team is legitimately good and their best players are under 25. Yeah. Bring in a guy that's going to be that leadership role. That's going to be able to play in the top six and, and do something or bring in a guy that's going to be able to supplement your top four, be willing to trade the picks and prospects when you're actually ready to compete. I'm not a guy that's like, man, I'm, I can't wait to trade a, a top round pick so I can be in the, out in the first round or, or try to make a fluky win in the first round and then lose in the second. Like if I'm trading a first round pick, it's because I think I can win the cup that year. And this isn't the year for the wings to do that. So what do you think? I, I know you spent quite a bit of time watching the Maple Leafs, which, you know, very sorry for that. Um, it's the worst. Although, you know, this year things have. Yeah. Uh, Except when you've been burned and you just have <laughs> zero faith going forward. <laughs> I got to talk about that because this is the most fascinating thing ever. The Leafs just had their most successful calendar month in franchise history. And my entire timeline is pessimism and people predicting the collapse. And it's Leaf fans saying that. So, Oh, yeah. The, the, with Leaf fans, <laughs> they're the most easily to pile up on themselves. Like... I think the big the, the big thing I've been saying to myself this year as as a guy who follows the Leafs and Red Wings primarily is, all right, I'm enjoying this youth movement with the Red Wings and, and with the with the Leafs. I'm having fun watching these games. I enjoyed the 8-3 Colorado game. I'm enjoying watching these guys do their thing and watch Austin Matthews come alive and watch William Nylander continue to be an amazing player and all that. But at the same time, I've seen this before. And maybe not to this level where they're winning 17 their last 19 or whatever it is at this point, but 
I, I I'm tired of those regular season with the with the Leafs, and that's why I've been, I've been watching so much more Red Wings hockey because I'm not tired of watching them play in the red the regular season. I, I'd love to see them make the run. And my running joke all year has been, oh, I can't wait for the Red Wings to eliminate the Leafs in the first round because that's just the joke Leafs fans make. But they are a legitimately good team. I, I anyone that's trying to say they're not a good team is probably a little bit either being an idiot or being an a hole. And this is kind of the thing where the history kind of precludes itself and everyone's talking about curses. And while I like to make fun and poke fun, but realistically, this team should win a first round playoffs, but they've said that the last three years too. So there it's this weird balance of pessimism and trying to keep your real, uh, your expectations realistic. And with the Leafs right now, it's just get to the se- get to the second round. Let's see what, what you can do in the playoffs. But at the same time, enjoy this run. Like this is what I told Hab fans last year when they were on that Stanley Cup Finals run, and this is what I've told Michigan fans this year in football and everything like that. Like, yeah, you, you want Harbaugh fired, or yeah, like this Montreal Canadiens run doesn't make sense. But enjoy it while it's happening, and then complain when it goes all all wrong, like you fully expect it to. So with Montreal this year, you're seeing kind of everything happen bad to them, and. I mean, it, it sucks not having Carey Price and Shea Weber leaving and Tim, Thomas Tatar leaving and all these these kind of th- bad things happening that you just don't expect or just bad moves by their GM. But uh, that's a different point. And same thing with Michigan. Like you're like, man, Harbaugh's messed up a few coaching decisions and like they're lucking into wins and stuff like enjoy it while it's happening. But understand that it could collapse. And when it does, just kind of be ready to react in that sense. So you talked about uh, some predictions, you know, coming into the season, compare that to your perspective on the Red Wings now. Where do you think they land at the end of the year? I think they miss out on the playoffs. I do. But I think they're going to be right there till the end. I think they're going to be a team that we're looking at and you're like, oh, man, like they they're the second team out of a wild card spot or they're they're right outside of a wild card spot. And I think they're going to be kind of competing right to the end. And yeah, maybe the last week or two of the season, we're like, oh yeah, they're still technically in it and they're still fighting, but they're not really going to make it. And you know what? I think that's a ton of progress for this team because the thing that any, anyone I'm in Windsor. So I have a lot of Red Wings fans around me. And anytime, anytime I talk to any of them, they're like, man, it's great seeing the kids do well. And sometimes the team still loses. And I think that's kind of the plan for a lot of Red Wings fans this year is you love seeing Sider do well. You love seeing Mo do well. You love seeing Nadelkovich just stand on his head some nights. And I think my brother described it best as he's like, I'd love to see a game where Raymond gets three points. Nadelkovich only allow- allows three, four goals on 75 shots and Sider has two hits and or, or 10 hits and, and two assists or something. And, and that's kind of what you want. You want the team to lose, but still have these young guys do good because you still do want those, those real solid building blocks for the future. And as we mentioned, they do still have that hole at that top end center slot. And maybe after years of not getting lottery luck, they finish say 10th in, in the order and they kind of get to get some lottery luck and they end up finishing you're picking fourth, fourth or third or something like that. Cause I know there's new rules where you can't move up so many spots and all that stuff, but maybe they get some lottery luck this year now that they're playing really well. And the hockey gods kind of look down on them kindly, maybe probably not, but maybe last question for me here, you kind of alluded to, to it with the prospects playing well and that being a benefit win or lose, you know, the, the conversation around the trade deadline, a lot of it is how many of these guys do you ship out? Because currently it is extremely beneficial for, for Lucas Raymond to be playing with the Tyler Bertuzzi and Dylan Larkin. If you break up that line, you, you manage to ship out Bertuzzi or whatever the trade might be. What's that balance like for a prospect's development, especially in early years? Is there can you go too far and take away all of their pieces and, and then all of a sudden you see it a hindrance in their development? 
Well, the way I look at it, especially with the, the Tyler Bertuzzi dilemma, because I think that's a big one in, in Red Wings land, is everyone's going, what do we do with him? And I mean, right now there's a lot of COVID issues and, and him not being vaccinated stuff that's going to kind of limit the trade options and everything. But at the same time, he's the third best player on that line. And and even when he was scoring the lights out, I think I'm pretty confident in saying that. So if you're shipping out the third best player on the line, I, I'm kind of willing to do it if you're getting a good return in in, in the process. Because I think you could put Fabry up on that line. I think I'd be interested to see a guy like Zadina go up on that line and get a shot with those guys. Because we've seen Zadina. Zadina's doing what what Lucas Raymond did in his draft year. He's doing everything right. He just can't seem to buy a goal aside from that really nice breakaway goal the other day. But man, like you're seeing Zadina do so much. And and I think everyone's waiting for him to pop. He just hasn't popped yet. So you know what? If you do trade Bertuzzi, you get an opportunity for Zadina to go up or Fabry to go up or whoever. And maybe that also opens the spot for Jonathan Berger in it late in the year where he can kind of come into the NHL and do some stuff. And I think you're looking at a guy like Bertuzzi as a stopgap at the end of the day. And I love Bertuzzi. He's a fun player to watch. I think he brings a lot to this team in, in terms of just his ability to kind of do things in the corners that not a lot of players will do. And his ability, he has improved his skill a lot in the last couple of years. So Bertuzzi is a guy that I don't just move, but if someone comes to me with a really, really nice offer, I'm probably more than willing to do it. And then you look at the back end with guys like Nick Letty and everything. And you're like, kind of the same deal. Like when he's playing with more Cider, because that happens very rarely now, but when he has, I still think Cider is the guy driving that pairing. And I mean, if someone's willing to take DDK off your hands, you just give them away for whatever. But like there's guys on the back end that you, you got to be willing to move because I, I think you look at this Red Wings team and you're like that the best defenseman is very clearly more Cider. So anyone that you pair with him is going to be better than they were with anyone else on this team. So I'm not too worried about the development of him because I do think he's going to be safe. And as as for Lucas Raymond, you're not trading Dylan Larkin. So I think he's going to be pretty fine okay, as well. All right, Tony, appreciate you covering a whole host of topics here. Folks, Tony Ferrari at the Tony Ferrari on Twitter. Uh, you'll find his work on the Hockey News, Sports Illustrated. And of course, he's the uh, host of Game Tape with Tony. <laughs> Mr. Ferrari, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, I mean, I would love to say let's do it again soon, but maybe the Red Wings are going to make it a non-factor and all of a sudden they're they're challenging for the division lead. Yeah, I can't wait to talk to you guys about the 24th overall pick in, in June or something. It's going to be fun. <laughs> Thanks, Tony. Yeah, no problem, boys. Anytime. I don't know, Evan. Are we letting him stay? <laughs> the fact that that even exists in Brad's brain is remarkable yeah, this, if this is gonna get me an excuse to go home and go back to bed for an hour before work like I can come up with more no no like you're not invited back oh yes <laughs> like, think about how long you can sleep yeah. oh, <laughs> my god what am I gonna do with all that free time you're gonna join three more hockey leagues we know how you are yeah it's probably fair uh, that was our interview with, with to be fair I haven't showed up to my beer league in like a month so I should probably do that too. <sighs> hey Ben that's I didn't know you had it in you actually <laughs> That was our interview with Tony Ferrari. Tony, thank you so much for joining the show. And uh, for the listeners, uh, apologies. We're still actually reeling from the Kim Kardashian quote that made it onto the podcast. Can answer me this, though. Was it inaccurate? Upsettingly, no. Thank you. Hey, look, I'm all for obscure um, references, but that she, was something What's else. obscure about Kim Kardashian? She's one of the most famous people on the face of the earth. But we're obscure relative to that. I just realized at this moment... Sorry, YouTube viewers. Uh, we don't have the studio lights on. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's 730 in the morning. That's probably for the best. Uh, Brad, talk us through uh, Carter Mazur, Red Savage, and the news with them. Um, 
they're on the shortlist for the Team USA World Junior Team, which is, I don't want to say unexpected. I think going into the season, we thought Red Savage would have a pretty decent chance if like not an outstanding one, but like he was very much in the conversation. Uh, Mazer though, who we predicted this perfectly, <laughs> not because we thought he was the best pick in the world in the third round, but because we thought he was the one pick we weren't thrilled about that. He would be absolutely be the guy to pop this year. And we were right. <laughs> <laughs> he is having a fantastic freshman season for Denver, so much so to the point where he got the call from Team USA for the World Juniors, which I don't think anybody thought was going to happen this year. Um, when you look at his highlight reel, if you want to call it that, from Denver, there's there's no mistaking who he is as a player. He's not scoring highlight reel goals. He's scoring the types of goals that uh let's say michael rasmussen should be oh the oh it's so accurate it hurts yeah <laughs> i don't even know what that is anymore <laughs> yeah explain they're they're all within 15 feet of the net he's making the simple play simple passes getting to the right spot at the right time and doing the right thing when the puck gets to him uh it's not the prettiest brand of hockey it's not the flashiest brand of hockey but when you look at his stat line for this year it's a really damn effective brand of hockey so Hey, Team USA liked what they saw. Uh, Denver's probably obviously enjoying what they're seeing, and I I very much bet the Red Wings are happy with his development to this point as well. Who is the other player? Skill testing question. Actually, I'll, I'll give this one to Evan. Who's the other player that Chris Draper banged his fist on the table for to draft um, and said he really believed in the guy? It was late in the second round in 2013. I'll really narrow it down for you. I... Th- no, I have no idea. Tyler Bertuzzi. Oh, okay. Yeah, Tyler Bertuzzi is a Chris Draper pick. Uh, Carter Mazer is a Chris Draper pick. And sample size of one dictates that you don't you know, automatically say this is going to be great. And if you think back to our, our conversations about the, the draft, it was, you know, every, every player that the Red Wings took, you understood the reasoning why. And anytime there was confusion about that player, it was more or less the players that were left on the board. And I think philosophically you think, do you take someone who's going to be the next Darren Helm in the third round, or do you try for another player with a higher ceiling at that spot? But I think coming out of that draft, that was our, one of our only, I don't know what, I don't want to say pick like nitpicking points. Like obviously most picks in any draft, our favorite guy at the pick, isn't going to be the guy that gets picked. Cause it's just the way it works. Right. Right. Like I think Edvinson was two or three spots below on my list when the Red Wings picked him, but it didn't mean I didn't like the guy. It was just yeah, I, I wanted Eklund. Um, Mazer was the only pick in that draft, it, like not counting like you know the super late picks that nobody's even keeping track of. Where I'm like, yeah, he's not even in the the bubble of players I'm I'm looking at here. You know, it was Red Savage at the top of my list when he got picked. Nobody was on the short list. Um, same with all the guys in the second round and so on and so forth. But, um. Yeah, so Mazer kind of came out of nowhere, and he wasn't ranked that highly either. But um, And I'm sure in previous years, Draper's had guys that he banged the table for that didn't pan out, and we never heard about it because they didn't pan out. Right. Um, So, you know, not that at this point Mazer's a slam dunk. No, he's still more likely than not to not make it. That's just the way of the NHL. But 
I'd have given him a five to ten percent chance after the draft. It's I don't know what the percentage is now, but it's a lot higher than that. Yeah, it's this is all just a long way of saying that a lot of the doubts are have been quelled, like they've been pushed aside, and a lot of people, us included, have been proven wrong uh, in these early stages. And you know what? Like there was never doubt as to could this guy be the next Darren Helm. It, you know, again, it was just like, do you take that at that point in the draft? But Hey, if if Carter Mazer turns out to be this next energy guy who can score those grindy, like heart and soul, salt of the earth goals, that's fantastic. That's a fantastic find for the Red Wings. And believe it or not, NHL hockey teams need those guys. It's a lesson learned time and time again. You load up on skill players or you load up on guys who are a little bit more streaky or whatever it might be. You're not going to win games if your third line or fourth line or whatever aren't scoring, if they're not contributing defensively, if they're not dominating a game without showing up on the score sheet. So Other teams know when your team is soft. Oh, 100%. And they hone in that, and it's just like animals on raw meat. Like They will yeah. take advantage of that weakness because it's so easy to notice. And, it, and that's not bad hockey either. Like That's part of the game. It's a physical sport. If, you, if you're on the ice and you're playing a team full of you know, rock stars who are all like, you know, let Brad's height, like five foot four or whatever, and like soft as hell, you go over and if they're going to dangle you, you just run them over every play and make it so that they don't want to. So anyways, this has turned into a rant about, I don't know, we're talking about boomer hockey now. <laughs> the boomer window the bo- is in full of four. Yeah, that's that's Evan's effect. Anyways, I just need you to know next time we go to a shinny, we're gone. I mean, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> that's completely. That has nothing to do with this conversation. No, no, no. I just, I just needed it out there. Anyhow, uh, the, we talked about Sabrango and Cosa with Tony, but yeah, Red Savage and and Carter Mazer both uh, deserve a ton of uh, uh, praise and a shout out for being on the shortlist for Team USA. So that was awesome. Okay, a uh, couple quick items here. Uh, Vancouver. Quick question. What? <laughs> Let me get this straight because I didn't really pay attention to my phone yesterday. Did they hire Boost Brujo before they fired Travis Green? Yeah, well, yeah, that's the order in which the news was released. <laughs> right. So I am sure. And let me guess, Jim Benning still has a job. No, nope. Oh, he got canned too. Yep. Wow. Yeah. Gone. Um, it kind of was like this slow process where the order of news went from Boudreaux being hired to Travis Green being fired to Jim Benning being fired. Now, I'm sure internally Green and Benning were probably notified earlier in the day. I'm sure they didn't call Bruce Boudreaux first before they fired Travis Green. So as funny as it looks on social media, I would probably bet that's not the way it played out behind the doors. That was just the order of the information being leaked. I don't know. Given I, that it's like, if there's any organization though, where I would believe it happened in that order, it is the Canucks. Mark if I'm Bruce Broder, Zach Wierenski. If I'm Bruce Boudreau. Oh man, it's way too early for my mouth. Boost. Yeah. I'm him. And. I'm, he just gives up, and they and minutes. they give me the job before they fire the coach. I'm hanging up the phone. Like I'm not working in an organization that operates that way. So I hope it did not come go down that way. Bruce is like, hey, I got a three year shelf life as a coach for one reason or another. I'm taking any opportunity I get. Perhaps, um, even if the Canucks are still terrible, but he gets Elias Pettersson back to like an 80, 90 point pace. I think 
I think he'll get another job after that. Yeah. Well, he, I mean, and you mentioned this before on the pod, he's a good offensive minded coach. Like yeah. he's for some reason memed a lot, but really like he creates a good offensive system pretty reliably. Every team he's ever coached has made the playoffs. A lot of Minnesota's <laughs> early days offense can be traced back to Bruce Boudreaux. Obviously the success wasn't there and he got canned and it turns out maybe for the better, who knows with Minnesota in the end, but, um, they're a little bit wild over there. All right, folks. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the pod. Um, Forget the game. We're going when we're done recording. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I think that's a that's a good shot in the arm for Vancouver. You know, um, Mark Bergevin didn't find out that Jeff Gorton was getting hired for the president of hockey ops role until I think Freach tweeted it. I did hear that. That is at least a little different in the sense of it wasn't taking his role uh, it, it kind of was but it wasn't it's um it's like hey we're bringing in a president of hockey ops to help you yeah that's what we're doing it had they told him they could have got away with that they didn't it's montreal we know the scumbaggy things that organization has done over the last year or so so nobody's shocked um but yeah even with vancouver the timing of it i don't even want to say it's crazy because like Two and a half years too late. Yeah, it's like the best time to do this was a year ago. The second best time was now. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? It was so obvious in the off season that it needed to happen, and so it wasn't though. There, a majority of the hockey world really liked what the Canucks did and thought they were going to make the playoffs and thought they were a better team. This is probably going to be the topic for the next year or two. Where the analytics community is just going to bang the table. We told you. This was the one we warned you about. This is the one where there is no nuance. We were a thousand percent right. This is this is their parade moment. Because this seemed to be the most divisive in the, I don't know, but these are good gritty guys. They're, they're going to get stuff done. Well, actually, these players are terrible. And uh, turns out. Uh, Jim Benning and the old old hockey man mentality did not work in this instance. I just don't understand. I don't understand the rationale behind not doing it at the end of last year. I don't understand. Travis Green needed to go right now, but I think had they moved Benning out earlier, Travis Green could have been salvaged. The way that it looks like that locker room got away from him, I, I don't know about that, but... At least after last season, I mean, we've been, I shouldn't even say we, most people with common sense in the game of hockey have known for two, three, four years, Jim Benning ain't it. But I understand if ownership liked him and believed in the direction he was going, why they didn't fire him after last year's terrible season. Because if there was ever a team that kind of had extenuating circumstances to go, this is why we suck, the Canucks uh, COVID fiasco of last year is probably a pretty decent excuse they were still bad but they probably wouldn't have been that bad because they were playing regular season games when the playoffs were going on they got hit so hard which was a farce in and of itself yeah so and that probably you're right extended the life of it, it jim did benning. because COVID gave jim benning life <laughs> yeah that being said um even if you bring him into this season this happened a month ago this this team didn't recently hit a cold stretch and become bad. They actually just won a couple games for the first time in a while. So this should have happened three, four weeks ago at a minimum. 
Well, anyways, that is the second major Canadian market to uh, make some possibly overdue moves in their management uh, and or coaching structure. So Vancouver fans, congratulations, maybe, who knows? We'll see what happens at the GM level. Rumors of John Shaka maybe coming in once his suspension from the NHL. Just wait till they hire Dale Talon. <laughs> <laughs> what what better way to replace Jim Benning than with Jim Benning? We're at home. Now there's two. This is getting ridiculous. Now there's two of them. Is that how it goes? <laughs> I messed up the quote. A messed up quote is a great excuse to pivot away from the topic. I'm Let's, just saying I nailed my quote earlier. Yeah, Keep you, up. Keep up, Ryan. Let's get into overtime here. Uh, overtime on this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Uh, they're wonderful people. Patreon.com slash Winged Wheel Podcast. If you want to help support the show, um, you're generally just cooler. You get uh, more money back on your tax return. Uh, you get more green lights. It's all been scientifically proven. For, mm-hmm. for legal reasons, this is a joke. But for legal reasons, go to patreon.com slash Winged Wheel Podcast. Uh, we're going to take a few question here questions here um cider comma come in not going to get fooled by that one again says i'm looking to go to a game at the lca what do you think is the best place to sit in the arena i mean it when i say that place has very i I don't think there are very many bad seats in the whole building i think you can justify any level depending on your budget i love the mezzanine i think it's the best bang for your buck i think it's a fantastic view and you're so close often there's like um concessions and like drinks facing inwards to the ice that you don't so you only have to leave to the concourse i love the mezzanine the mezzanine is the best bang for your buck but if budget is uh, of no concern 15 to 30 rows at center ice is always the best bet agreed splinters in my toes please yeah <laughs> you feel like you can shake hands with the players yeah yeah exactly um simon says 27 uh at, says after watching the video of mo getting wrestled to the ice and practice uh, this seems to be the most fun the Wings are having in years. So I loved that video, but I have questions. I don't know what they were, what what the end goal of what they were doing there was. Just ruthlessly trying to murder Mo Sider. Like Lucas Raymond's being the little shit brother coming in and like giving him a snow shower to the face as he's on the ice. And yeah. Nick Letty's the dad who's like, ah, you kids, and then joins in to... To relive the glory days. And Heronik's just kind of like, am I going to play around or am I not? I actually know what I'm going to go work on my one-timer. It was like a script written by, it was like an incredibly PG like fanfic written by <laughs> someone on Red Wings Twitter. It's like what happens in Red Wings practices, but it actually happened. They had a they had a big win and they had a practice and all the boys were wrestling to celebrate at center ice. <laughs> Whoever had the camera for social media that day was like, oh, thank you. You just wrote my content. I have yeah. to do nothing else right now. <laughs> just post that video with absolutely no caption. <laughs> also, there was uh, no caption because I don't think they knew what was going on. When you tweeted like, oh, R- Raymond playing the shit little brother. I as a little shit little brother. I was like, oh, yes. Incredibly accurate. One hundred percent. Miss Days says you can't reasonably tell me that if we maintain this points percentage before before Verona returns that we don't have a shot at the playoffs. I'm not going to lie, like we were joking about earlier in the episode, I keep waiting for the regression because for things we talked about before, depth on this team is still not good, but maybe these four, five, six guys can keep them afloat all the way to the playoffs. It might happen, uh, especially if, especially Nadelkovic. Oh my God, Nadelkovic. 
Cody Stark mentions the same thing and he wants us to to talk about Prashant because he tweeted um, that the wings are entering a dangerous part of the rebuild. Jump too early and you risk getting stuck in mediocrity. Wait too long and you risk wasting the primes of your best players. It's a difficult area for a GM to manage. And this is from Prashant Iyer. Um, it's fair. I Because as of right now, I think the Red Wings are legitimately in the playoff conversation. Very obviously because they're in a playoff spot. I think end of season, I wouldn't be surprised to see them too far out of it. And you can't knock anyone who says, you know, this could be a playoff team. But what are you supposed to do? Draft good players and then not be good? Yeah. Like, yeah. like how does that work? Like, you, eventually you're going to have to get into that purgatory zone and hope your trajectory keeps improving. Yeah. I understand you, you want to time it right, like slingshot with a good, like a, a salvage every good draft pick you can i think reasonably steve eisman has two options here stand pat at the deadline you know player in player out you don't buy or or maybe it's a mix of both you sell your valuable players who won't factor into a future competitive team because of age or whatever else you set your team back a little bit but then you are really geared to go moving forward i'm pretty sure i've mentioned this before on here but it's worth repeating it's you got to be careful because the difference between this year and previous years is it's a much younger team. There's more than two or three guys who are going to be around for the long haul, who are going to play playoff games with this team. So as much as it's easy to look at it from a pure asset management standpoint and go, oh, yeah, if you're anything outside of a top four spot in your division, sell everything because you're obviously not winning the cup this year. So it's better to get futures. You have to keep the guys in the room on the same page. So if you're a Lucas Raymond, a Mo Sider, a Dylan Larkin, uh, maybe even a Robbie Fabry who could get extended, a Philip Zadina, and you're sitting in a playoff spot, let's say it's by one point and there's like six teams behind you within like a point or two. So you know it's tenuous and it's unlikely, but you are in that playoff spot. You have earned that playoff spot to that point and your GM goes, now we're pulling the shoot. That sends a pretty bad message to the team. Like, hey, guys, I'm glad he got us here, but... Especially a team that's done uh, quite a bit of losing. Yeah, so I no matter what happens this season, I am 1,000% of the mindset. You do not trade for a single player at this deadline. You do not move out one pick. You do not move out one prospect. You stand pat. But I think the answer, the way this season's going is you stand pat this team got you there let this team finish it out and if you flame out and miss the playoffs in the last week shit happens they were battling till the end that's worth something if they make a playoffs and get swept in the playoffs this team that was expected to be a bottom feeder made the playoffs so that's a huge boost to everybody in that room so that's that's a mindset that these players will carry going forward and as easy it is as it is to blow that off as old hockey man talk that is worth something yeah that matters But getting back to the purgatory of it all, and this is the concern I fall on um, because you do get stuck in purgatory. And I don't think anybody here is saying the Red Wings don't have enough draft picks or they don't have enough prospects. But as we talked about, Tony, they have that one glaring hole and no obvious solution to. We all assumed that solution would come in the draft. But if you're picking 15, 16, 17, 18, yeah, you're probably not getting a top six center. That's the way it works. So it makes Steve Eisman's job harder. Not impossible because if you pick, let's say, a really damn good winger at 
pick 17 hypothetically. That winger pops off to be a 30-goal scorer. Okay, well, you can still move that for a center. So there, there's enough picks and prospects here that you can get one. It's just harder. So nobody should be upset about the trajectory of this team right now, even if they do get stuck in purgatory for a year or two or even three. But because um, the experience is valuable. But yeah, there, there's admittedly some concern about, hey, the rebuild's almost done, but not 100%. Remember, the rebuild's not done until your favorite podcast hosts declare it to be over. And that concludes this no, episode of the Winged Wheel it's Podcast. Your, your team's GM has to declare it's over. Steve would never. <laughs> the Ottawa, Ottawa's having a great season right now because the rebuild's over. On that note. We're going to wrap up this show. Uh, Tuesday night, the Red Wings uh, play against the Natural Predators, and we'll be back with you again midweek. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Thank you all uh, for being incredible people. Our Patreon supporters, we love you. Our name-level sponsors on Patreon, Arjun Shanker, Yves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation, Kyle Karagitz, Nick Perks, uh, Taylor Tadgel, Matthew M. Rice, Brandon M., Carl Brutana Nanaluski, Chimmy, Citizen High Five, CJ Sully, Clayton Van Dyken, Craig Kibble, Derek Enstam, DJ Denton, Give Blood, Fight Probert, Greech, Hana Lee, Hassam Alkasem, Jay Gollum, Jacob Turner, Jake Kiefer, Justin and the Angry Mob, Kaylin Wood, Kanye is a Philosopher, King Tone, Kyle Hashman, Matt McKay, R.A., Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, Stay Fresh Cheese Bags, Stacey Lynn, Zach Spring, Andrew Bohan, Sam Bankson, Antonio Gracias, um, Babe Landiscog, Ben Barron, Colorado 14ers, Connor Leighton, Dave W., don't let Raymond distract you. In 1998, Undertaker threw mankind off a cell, off hell in a cell, and plummeted 16 feet through an announcer's table. Eric Sinkowski, Evans Bingo Card, James Laporte, Jeremy Brocker, John Evans, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Logan Stahl, Matt Keeler, Matt S, Max One Million Dollars, Michael Alsante, Raymond's Deke Insider. <laughs> Ravi DeLuca, Terry Actual, Trevor Pevovar, Zach Handyside, and Zach McCann, a driving range superstar. See you sickos midweek. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.